Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Happy Mother's Day weekend, everyone. You are in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We have a great show for you today. But before we get jumping into the rotation, cue that beautiful theme music. Welcome one, welcome all. So again, you are in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. I'm your executive director, Christopher Kano, uh, joining you here from the Beltway in Washington, D.C. As always, in our home studio in Ybor City at Chillum Glass Gallery and CBD Dispensary is Carlos Hermida, our deputy director. And uh, we'll be joined shortly by our director of public policy, Gary Stein, who is on his way. Uh, you all know how traffic can be, especially on a Saturday in the rain, uh, trying to get uh, down I-75. And we have some special guests with us today, uh, Ron and Mark, uh, who are the uh, founders of Bud's Place, which is a social consumption lounge that uh, they are opening in the Las Vegas area. Welcome, Ron. Welcome, Mark. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Real doing good, well. Thanks. Doing well. Doing well. So, um, Mark, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, what was uh, you know, your and Ron's motivation for moving forward and pushing for a social consumption lounge? Well, this is something that it's not recent. It's not something I was recently motivated to do. This is something that I've been working on, frankly, for almost 10 years conceptually and for the last five <clears throat> very diligently. And for the last three years, Ron and I have worked to put together what we believe is the most profitable and best concept ever devised for a cannabis consumption lounge. Well, that sounds amazing. Uh, you know, Ron, you want to expand a little bit uh, on, on what Mark said? Sure. Uh, you know, Mark, Mark had the idea for consumption lounges and saw a void in, uh, you know, in the hospitality industry related to consumption lounges. So, uh, he called me about three and a half years ago uh, to talk about his idea, and I went out to Vegas. I'm based uh, in Detroit, Michigan, suburban Detroit, because nobody really is from Detroit, but we're all from suburban Detroit. Uh, went out to Vegas, talked with Mark, found out more about his idea, and uh, I have a big franchising background. So while we were talking, you know, I, I was thinking about it as to uh, can this be franchised? And, uh, you know, which helps helps you expand far more rapidly than if they're all company owned stores. So we uh, we talked and we talked and we figured out uh, some of the basics of what we wanted the model to be and what Mark's vision was for the model. And then talked to some professionals after that uh, on the legal side and on the insurance side to uh, make sure that a cannabis related concept was able to be franchised in the U.S. 
and obviously wanted to make sure the next step was making sure that it was insurable because we if we were going to franchise a business or if we we're going to open company-owned lounges we needed to make sure that insurance was available for the lounges and we got yeses to both that it could be franchised and it was insurable and then we started moving forward to put a team together and further develop uh, the concept and and we've had all, got all our franchising documents in place. Uh, we're looking for a partner to get a company-owned location open with and uh, move from there. You know, and once really once we got the model together, you know, then COVID oh, hit, sorry. so the timing uh, wasn't let, great. Let me ask you guys. If Carlos, you lagged up there for a second, buddy. You okay? We lost him. Ah, well, you know, there's a rainstorm. Well, um, Carlos, you're back? Well, I'll tell you, you know, the other thing is where we are, we find ourselves right now to build on what Ron was saying. Yeah. We've carried the process through. We've gone through all of the technical franchising things. We've met with all the appropriate legal, legal eagles and legal cannabis minds who are helping to put this entire thing forward even more with legalization, decriminalization, and finalizing a set of rules for consumption lounges. All of that being said, we find ourselves in an interesting situation right now where we're actually re-educating some of the cannabis industry on how a consumption lounge model can bring additional profits to what's already been a very profitable cannabis sector of the new economy. That's something that I think we can talk a little bit more to. And, and that's something I think, you know, uh, Ron can expand on, expand on a little bit more. But that's really, we find ourselves in a position we never really thought we would. Explaining to the corporations and the people who are currently ensconced in the cannabis industry, in the grow end, in the distribution end, and in the dispensary end. They're looking at the consumption lounge model if, if it's something no more than a couch where people can get stoned after purchasing product. And Ron and I are not only dispelling that myth and that perception, but we're bringing what we believe to be a number of additional new revenue streams to both our cannabis sector and the consumption lounge side and those things that go in tandem with that. Wouldn't you say, Ron? Now, you yeah, well, guys you know, have to, uh, I'm sorry, you guys have to excuse me because I kind of like uh, got out of there in, in, in a little bit. Uh, so you guys might uh, actually have like answered this question. But uh, so, so you, uh, it, it, and this is something that's like burning into me. You said consumption lounges are no longer just a couch where you can just smoke weed inside uh, of a place, right? What What is a consumption lounge to you? Our yeah, vision so, of a consumption ahead. lounge is a place, first of all, cannabis is a very social thing. So it's a social consumption lounge. So our vision is a place where you can go to enjoy your cannabis while eating a good meal because we have a food partner who's already one of the top barbecue and, and, and Frankfurter franchises in the country. 
you can have a good meal, you can watch a good game on TV, you can get some work done in one of the VIP rooms, but all while you're socially enjoying your cannabis, which is something you cannot do until now. So it's more of an experience, really. It's more so because I got I got to tell you in 2013, right? I went to Oaksterdam University. I don't I don't know if you guys are familiar with this place, but they used right. to have a student lounge that you could consume cannabis in, right? And this blew my freaking mind. Like I'm like, oh my god, I can hang out with people and play pool and sit around in a public place, right? While smoking marijuana, right? So that was enough for me, right? That seriously was enough for me to like want to be able to go there, right? Um, but you guys are like adding so much more elements to it, right? Um, I'm wondering why consumption lounges haven't been successful yet, right? That's yeah. So easy. part of yeah, part of the thing with those because is, I mean the thing there is, aren't like, any. The I mean, there idea, aren't any. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, there, there's been places like in, in California that have been underground and there's been places in like Colorado that have been underground and whatnot. Yeah, Carlos, I, I, I was like once a uh, problem, right? We're not well, talking I, about underground. That's yeah. just it. It is now becoming legal by regulations for the different municipalities to actually open the the term underground is no longer necessary when it comes to a social cannabis consumption yeah. lounge. So That's you're why see, we are here. Yeah. What you're going to see is, you know, and we know that there's illegal consumption lounges. Let's call them for what they are. They're illegal consumption lounges operating in some places. There's some in Detroit. There, there's some all over. But as states pass rules allowing consumption lounges like Michigan, Illinois, Nevada is real close to finalizing their rules for consumption lounges. New York's working on them. Colorado's got them. So a lot of places now are putting rules in place for legal consumption lounges. As legal consumption lounges get open, I think you're going to see the regulators, uh, you know, while they're going to be looking at all the legal ones to make sure that they're following the rules and operating the right way, they're going to be going after and shutting down the illegal ones. Sim similar to the ways in which uh, in some of the states where, you know, where they don't allow adult use cannabis sales yet and people were trying to get around the rules by, you know, pay us one fifty a month and with that you get uh, an ounce or two of marijuana for free with your membership. So we're not selling you the cannabis, we're giving it to you. And they said, well, you know, we're not doing anything wrong, but of course they were. And, uh, they've they've quickly found out that they can't do that as as legal consumption lounges get open uh i think those illegal ones are going to start going away because the regulators just aren't going to want them operating and uh you know like like mark said as we've talked with grows and dispensary owners and people like that they just don't get it uh, you know, I'm going to say it. They just don't get it. They think, like Mark said, they think a consumption lounge is a little room with a couple chairs and couches where you can go smoke what you just bought and then see you later. We need that table for somebody else. Uh, you know, we compare the consumption lounge industry and where it's going to go to the alcohol industry all the time. You can drink in your home 
it's, which is a lot less expensive than buying your alcohol in a bar, but there's more than 60,000 bars and nightclubs in the U.S. Cannabis, you can drink at home there or smoke at home. There's dispensaries all over the place, yet, you know, no, no public, no consumption lounges. You know, why is that? So we, we think it's going to be a huge industry with consumption lounges all over the place. Uh, the city of Ann Arbor, Michigan, for example, has okayed uh, in their in their city statutes up to 28 consumption lounges just for that one city of Ann Arbor. Uh, right now, there are none open there yet. There's only one license been issued in the state of Michigan for a legal consumption lounge, and uh, you know th there's other people. You know people are looking to open them. Florida, where uh, where you are, Carlos, Florida has no consumption lounge rules. Their rules in Florida are simply you can't consume cannabis on public property. Period. So part of our model for states like Florida and states like Washington, uh, where it's a you know no no smoking on public property, we have memberships or entry fees, which, you know, according to some of the the top level cannabis attorneys out there, uh, they think that makes us private property, and we think that too. So by by being private property, we you can smoke cannabis on there. And, you know, we build out, one of our focus was a safe legal environment for people to enjoy cannabis with entertainment, with food and beverage, with different things they can do so that they can actually stay there and have fun for an hour or two, you know, or however long they wanted to be there. People can come in and work all day in one of our lounges because mm -hmm. we'll have, you know, high speed internet and all the appropriate wiring and sound systems and private rooms where they can, you know, they can work all day if they want to. Like some people that are cannabis users start with cannabis in the morning and then then work all day. So it's going to be a place where you can really you can do a variety of things from play pool listen to live entertainment eat work hang out socialize uh, we'll have special events we'll have a lot of different things for people to do so that they want to keep coming back you know and having fun having high quality fun so that's what we've designed a place for people to come in and enjoy themselves and have high quality fun eventually what we really envision is somebody to have a familiar place where they can go to socially use their cannabis. And by familiar, I mean, if you live in Washington, D.C., you have a Bud's place in D.C. or over the border in Virginia or somewhere close by. And then when you have to travel to Las Vegas to come to the big convention, you can go to Bud's place in Las Vegas, a recognizable, comfortable place for you to go and have high quality fun. There are none anywhere. There are no lounges. There's a couple in Colorado. I think there's one licensed in California now. That's it. As the licenses become, as the rules become finalized, and Ron and Gary and myself have been working all over the country, locally and on state levels, to try to get some uniform rules passed so that they can start to issue the licenses. That's the problem. There's only a couple states where they can actually issue licenses right now, like Michigan, like Illinois, like Washington, okay? Um, everybody knows that there's gonna be amazing 
consumption lounges here in Las Vegas, but they don't even have the rules finalized yet to issue a license. They're already advertising themselves as as the Amsterdam of the United States come to Las Vegas where we have 50 dispensaries within 10 feet of your hotel, but they've yet to give you a place where you can enjoy cannabis without being arrested, technically. Yes, the only one, there's one operating in Vegas right now that's in the in a, a dispensary that's on Indian land and owned by an Indian tribe. So the, the rules don't apply to them. But, uh, you know, it's one of those, once again, it's a small little place inside a dispensary with a few tables and chairs and couches. And they uh, you know, they sell and you small quantities of overpriced price. cannabis. Then you get a table for a period of time based on how much you spend. And, uh, you know, that seems to be a model that dispensaries have you can have a table for a half hour uh you know smoke what you just bought and then see you later because we need that table for somebody else we'll also in the buds places uh you know have a retail area where bring your own right now which some consumption lounges sell you marijuana sell you cannabis to enjoy we're bring your own at least until it's federally legal so we'll have you know our plan is to have partnerships with local dispensaries so that uh, we can refer, refer customers to them, they can refer them to us. In many places, they're allowed to deliver so we could have a customer inside of a Bud's place, order cannabis from a, a local dispensary, have it delivered right to them at the lounge. And uh, we'll have a retail area inside of cannabis accessories we can sell pipes and bongs and papers and trays and grinders and cannabis themed merchandise and CBD products, stuff like that. But we won't be selling cannabis inside of a Bud's place, uh, at least until it's federally legal. And then it could be us selling it or a franchisee selling it or the dispensary running out space and them selling it, you know, or cannabis vending machines because- They're all options. You know, though, yeah, they're all options. And it's really all about uh, what do the customers want uh, inside of a place so that they can enjoy themselves while they're there? Ron, you got to, you got first, Ron, you've got everything like very well planned out. You're obviously a very smart guy. And Mark, you obviously have like, you're, you're a vig visionary. You guys seem to make like a, a pretty good duo. Um, Ron, being that you have, and and Ron and Mark both, you see, seeing that you guys have both all of this stuff pretty well planned out, the fact that the rules haven't come out yet, uh, is that going to affect any of these plans at all? Is there? Do you see like any pivots happening? Are you getting ready for any of that? That's a very good question. And yeah. in in short, yes, we are getting ready, and we are ready. And the reason that we've taken the time and the efforts and Ron has worked so diligently in the franchise end to put this together was so that it, in fact, it is viable no matter where anybody is. The whole key to what Bud's Place is, is like I was alluding to before, eventually you're going to be able to go to Bud's Places everywhere and not only expect, but you will receive the same high quality experience no matter where you are, that's that's what it's about. That's what we're doing. And to I, and by the way, uh, I see Heidi. You like the high quality fun. I will tell you that that's trademarked to us because it's part of our logo. And Bud's Place offers high quality fun. HQF. 
just like you see on our shirts. And I'm glad you like it. But like you said, you know, one of the challenges with uh, a lot of different things cannabis related, including consumption lounges, is that the rules are different everywhere. And uh, on the consumption lounge side, uh, because there's very few lounges open in the U.S., all the states are looking at each other to see, you know, what they're putting into their rules and what we should put into our rules. Law enforcement's, uh, yeah, which law enforcement was more, was as concerned with alcohol and the stuff that can happen with people under the influence of alcohol as they are with cannabis because they seem to, uh, you know, and I'm not attacking them. It's just one of the challenges is they get, they spend a lot of time in the minutia and not in the big picture of what a consumption lounge can be and should be. And they're digging into stuff like, uh, you know, nobody should be able to see inside of a consumption lounge from outside. Uh, they're still putting these stigmas on it. Uh, you know, you've got to have different kinds of security you've got to you can only bring in certain kinds of products and that's what's delayed a lot of the things i think uh, in nevada you know after they got through their initial problems a couple years ago that caused the governor to put a moratorium on consumption lounges now they're spending so much time on you know what kind of things can you bring in if you don't smoke at all when you're inside can you take it with you when you leave uh, how does it have to be disposed of inside, things like that. So, you know, they came up with this thing that to go into a consumption lounge, you can only bring in a single-use consumption, single-use cannabis product in its original packaging from a dispensary. So they're, you know, the other thing they're doing or, or another thing they're doing in Nevada is using the legal consumption lounge concept to try to fight the black market and the gray market. So they're trying to get people to buy illegal dispensaries. Uh, and it doesn't matter if they're legally able to grow it at home or if they if they get it from other sources other than a dis legal dispensary, they're gonna need to buy their cannabis at a legal dispensary and keep it in that original packaging and only a single use consumption product that they can buy if they wanna go into a lounge. Well what the heck is a single-use cannabis product we you know, actually it's different for everybody and yeah. uh you know it, what happens you know if you have a vape product how big of a vape product can you have that qualifies as a single-use product so they they've been bogged down trying to define certain things that they want to put into their rules and our focus really is find out what the rules are and make sure we're following the rules because as lounges get open if they're going to be under a microscope we think and if you're not yeah. following the rules it's going to damage the whole industry and if you come out and you do it properly it can help the whole industry grow and that's what we're all about trying to help this industry grow we know there's going to be competitors out there we know oh, there's wow. going to be a lot of consumption lounges and we just want to do it right when we get them open and then always be ready to tweak our model to keep improving it because we know people are going to be looking at us and copying us and trying to improve what on what we're doing so we've always got to try to be one step ahead of them well wow. the last the last the perfect example of what ron just said was uh the last two <clears throat> assembly meetings and council meetings 
all they did when it came to this particular topic. And there was an entire day set aside just to deliberate and, 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 and legislate this topic was they spent three and a half hours trying to, trying to put a foundation down for what would be a single use product. These are the things that we're trying. These are the, this, this is what we've been negotiating for the last three years to bring this to the public where everybody can enjoy a consumption lounge. And more importantly, everybody can enjoy coming to Bud's. So the politicians are so petty that they're taking time to spend days upon days arguing whether or not someone could just bring an eighth of whatever in, roll up a blood or a joint there, spark it up. Like that is something that they have an issue with. It's not an issue and it's not being petty. When you're as actively involved in the legislative process, you realize that every single word they write down, they're writing it down because they expect it to last for 50 or 100 years. And that's why it seems ridiculous to me, but it's not petty. Right. I mean, they're, they're, you know, like you, like you see in Florida, Carlos, uh, there's a ton of political stuff going on related to cannabis. Part of what happened, you know, has happened in Nevada is the big dispensaries uh, donate a lot of money to politicians campaigns. And, you know, they kind of, they're able to get wording in there that they want whether it helps or hurts anybody else or the whole concept and industry, they're focused on what's good for them. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's not appropriate for them, but you know, a lot of politics get involved. So the dispensaries, you know, they're all for people having to buy their cannabis at a dispensary and only be able to go into a consumption lounge if it's in packaging from a dispensary. You know, they're, they're all for that. They're pouring a lot of money into the politicians campaigns their lobbyists are the ones helping write the rules, you know, so while we try to give input and we've, we've been involved in some meetings with regulators, the little guys in a lot of areas don't have much say. And, you know, we know that. So while we try, we try to give input when it's uh, asked for sometimes, I mean, as you know, Gary, he'll be providing input when it's not asked for, No. but uh, <laughs> all input is good. And, uh, you know, but it's still at the end of the day, you know, what are the rules and let's make sure we follow the rules. And, uh, and yeah, that's what and it's all about. It, this is fun. We should have a, a show where you guys come back and we just like make fun of Gary since like we both work with him. We've been doing that for 50 years as in 5 well, You can tell that we think Gary. our future is very bright and because Gary's wearing sunglasses. Well, That's yeah, it. I got the sun coming in over here on my side. Yeah. So. Uh, Tim, so you asked a shades. question about single use. Uh, no, it's, it's sing- <laughs> the problem with single use is first they said single use was, you know, like, is it a joint? How long are you going to be there? What's involved? And they, in their wisdom and, and taking literally another four and a half months to try to decide what they wanted to say was single use they still don't know single use. So now they said it's how much THC can you consume in a single use? So now the products are going to be limited to what they can contain, not so much as what you have. Um, Now they've got it up to an eighth of an ounce is going to be okay to buy when you go into a consumption lounge or take into a consumption lounge. It started with a gram. It's still fluid. So I guess the short answer, Tim, is no, and they're clueless. 
Yeah, because if you're there all day, I mean, you know, like if you're using the this uh, using the consumption lounge as a co work space, you know, <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, it's been eight hours. I, I can smoke more than an eighth in eight hours. <laughs> well, if you yeah, were in you know, that's just one of the things they're struggling with. Uh, you know, because a single use, you know, where people, you know, people who are experienced okay. cannabis users may have a bigger tolerance to it than somebody that. else. So a single use product for them may be quite a bit more cannabis. Oh than it would be for somebody else. You know, if you look at, you know, and we keep going back to Vegas because, you know, everybody wants to have a consumption lounge in Vegas. There's probably not a more perfect place to have one, but, you know, but you get a lot of tourists there and maybe people who aren't that experienced with cannabis, but they're with a group or at a convention, go to a lounge. Uh, they really don't know how the cannabis is gonna affect them you know, or how much to start with. And, uh, you know, a single use product is really different, you know, different from person to person. So when you're trying to define what it is, uh, it can be difficult. And they've, they've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it is. And then, you know, so if you bring in a joint and, and smoke half of it, can you take the rest of it with you when you leave? Or do you have to toss it? before you go and, and yes it can be shared patty you know so it's all kinds of things like that uh you know nevada also has decided it looks like that any ownership group is only allowed to have one consumption lounge in the state of nevada no matter where it's located so one in nevada and you're done which for us as a franchise model we think helps us because we could have five or 10 different franchisees. So they're all, all owned by somebody different, but uh, you know, have an opportunity to have multiple Bud's Place lounges open in the state of Nevada, all owned by a different franchisee. Uh, you know, that's another part of the rules I don't understand, uh, even though it's good for us, because my thought, my thinking on it is, if you have somebody who opens a lounge and they're doing everything right and following the rules, and having success, you know, why shouldn't they be open, able to open another one? Plus the state, you know, when you're applying for a license, they still always have the ability just to turn somebody down if they don't want them to have another lounge or if they think there's too many in that specific area. But uh, they've decided right now, at least it looks like one lounge per owner in Nevada. And, uh, you know, it gets back to the whatever the rules are, the rules are. Uh, but for us, that's probably a, a good rule other than we wouldn't be able to have a franchisee owning multiple units, but we could have a lot of different franchisees having a lounge open. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we often encounter, at least in Florida, is uh, politicians getting in the way of progress. And, uh, you know, is there any particular challenges you all have encountered with the politicians? Uh, you know, is there is there a particular party that's in the way? Uh, how are things in Vegas shaping up for you? You know, what, what, what's been the main opposition or hold up from making this a reality? There's always one or two that are trying to either get more for their specific constituency at this point. Um, for instance, there was a Clark County commissioner's meeting a week or so ago, not the Nevada state, not Las Vegas particular, but Clark County. They were deciding if they wanted to add rules, augment the state rules or do something different as they start to allow them into Clark County where Vegas happens to be located, but it's separate. It's unincorporated, very strange. But 
to answer your question, there was a councilwoman who was like, well, I'm not sure if we're ready for this yet. Well, she's from the most impoverished part of the county. And her thing was, I want to make sure that these go everywhere, meaning I'd like to see one in my district, even though it's totally impoverished and people are scared to park their car here. There is still going to be some of that for sure. But mostly, no, mostly they're all for it. And there are some who are very for it. I went the other day, I went to a fundraiser for uh, Tick Sagerboom, who is on that same Clark County Council, but he's been slamming his foot for two and a half years going, we've got to get these open because we want the money. It's still about the money. They want to get them open, but they want to do it right. And by right, what it really comes down to is they have to have all the rules in place so they're not found liable for something down the road. If anyone gets hurt or if something goes wrong, bringing this new industry, this new sector of the economy on full on board, it has to be done properly because it comes down to being insurable. And why are you have to be insurable? So you're not found liable and you're forced out of business to pay someone because something went wrong. That's the bottom line. And when they get that right, then everything will be fine. And that's why they need guidance, too, because a lot of times they set up regulations that actually create liability, like the fact they want everybody yeah. to make certain that they finish all of their product before they leave or it gets thrown out. Well, if I spend 12 bucks on a pre-roll, I'm not going to throw out half of it if I only smoked half of it. So I'll probably try to knock down the whole thing, although I can't consume nearly as much as, as Carlos and, and Chris can because these guys eat 500 uh, milligram uh, chocolate bars. You know, at a sitting and have no problem with that. I, I, I and uh, that's no, a little the, bit too much for me, but I can see them having uh, overconsumption at that point in time if they're trying, everybody's trying to finish their product before they leave. I could definitely see like uh, regulating the amount of milligrams being a good way of like keeping like really like patients that really need a strong amount or, you know, like it could be a good way to keep people out of your lounges and like a good way to like actually limit the demographics, I think. Well, like, that's what they're doing know. here. Um, yeah. yep. They set up the rules here. It's going to be uh, limited to what the what what the cannabinoids are, the THC mm -hmm. percentages and on edibles. They just changed it again to what we hope will be the final ones here. And we say we hope it'll be final because we just want them to be finalized and done so we can start the application processes here and no more changes. But yeah. the way it is now, it's uh, 10 milligrams per serving. Well, what's a serving? You know, if something comes in a, you know, in a, in a brownie with 100 milligrams, are you allowed to break it up? They actually had to define and by rule say, yes, you could break up a brownie and serve it to everybody at, at the table. But it's going to be by uh, THC limits on edibles and on um, uh, vapables. And it's going to be um, percentages on flour. And yeah. that's how it looks like it's going to be here. And like Ron was saying earlier, you know, when they started the process here, they looked to the only other state that had rules in place, Colorado, to do a lot of their baseline work to put the rules in Nevada, i.e. Las Vegas, together here. And now what they're doing here, what it's going to be looked at by the next 10 states are going to look at the rules that were put in place by Nevada. And that's how it's going to go. And that's another reason they want to make sure it's perfect before they say, here's the green light. Let me ask you, Mark, if you were writing the rules 
how would you like them to look? If I was writing the rules, first yeah. I would like it to be federally decriminalized so all of the people all of the people can do uh, their banking, can do, you know, can come and go as they please and not have to worry about differences from state to state. But I think there should be no word bring your own. So how the rules should be is you should be allowed to bring in your own. Mm-hmm. Period. I, I yeah, think, and and you and, should you know, be allowed to leave with what you don't yeah, use. But part of the issue, reality. right? Part of the issue with you know not being able to leave with any unconsumed product is yeah. how do you enforce that? Yeah. Now, how do we enforce that? Somebody can you know stick half a joint in their sock, uh, you know, in a pocket uh and leave with it so they're putting a lot of uh rules in place on the owner of the consumption lounge that are just gonna you know be a burden on them and their employees and then you know if somebody misses something because you know people want to get want to get away with stuff you know and take something out or sneak something in that's not in its uh, that wasn't bought at a dispensary or isn't in its original packaging. I mean, how far are we supposed to go as the consumption lounge owner to determine what people are bringing in and what people are leaving with? So we're going to have, yeah, so we'll have, yeah. you know, we'll have standard operating p- procedures and policies for staff to follow, but you can still fool somebody if you want to. And it's really on the business owner as, as long as they're doing, uh, you know, as much as they can to make sure that the rules aren't being broken, that should be, that should be adequate. And we don't know what kind of, inf- what kind of penalties there may be on consumption lounge owners. If somebody finds that somebody brought something in, they weren't supposed to, or snuck it in, or if somebody snuck something out, things like that. Well, I see a simple solution. Now I, I have a much greater <laughs> you know this could be scary. Gary just no, I, got I, distracted. Yeah, there's people sitting there waving at me and making strange hand gestures. I wasn't certain what they meant. Anyways, I yeah, I, I'll, I can tell you what the middle finger means, Gary. If that was a hand gesture, <laughs> you know, there's been there's been a, a couple of a couple of statements and a couple of questions. Um, uh, Patty Gallagher, you're right, and the problem is very simply, she said states just aren't ready for this. And the reason is because they decriminalized it and they made it legal to smoke. They made it legal to purchase, but they didn't, they forgot to tell you where, where is it legal to smoke it after you purchase it? The problem is they didn't think ahead. Now they are thinking ahead. Now they're catching up. And what you're going to see going forward are states that make it legal are going to start including this as it goes. It's, it's, it's always about the bottom line. It's always about money. And Tim wants to know is is are you talking about indoor or outdoor lounges or a mix of both? We are talking Bud's place is an indoor lounge that you know standalone with a patio can definitely have a nice outdoor area too. But are you talking about indoor and outdoor? The rules are the same for both. In fact, they're so ridiculous in some places that they're trying to regulate the air quality if you're outdoors on a patio. Well, you know, clean air laws in Florida are going to be a challenge, too. You know, uh, we have rules that uh, you can't serve uh, if you serve a certain amount of food uh, as part of your revenue. Yeah, you can't you can't allow smoking indoors and such. Yeah. In in a public and publicly uh, used facility. 
there's, there's other carve-outs for that as well. And a lot of other states have also went with these smoking laws as far as cannabis is concerned, as folded in the same thing as tobacco, which we huh. found in Toronto to be kind of really wild because in Canada, they follow the, the, uh, the smoking rules. And so therefore, you can walk down the sidewalk with, with a uh, pre-roll in your hand, as we have done. And uh, no one will bother you, but you go inside somewhere and you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah, but Gary, I did see an article a couple of weeks ago, an online article that there are a few airports in Canada right now that are looking at allowing consumption lounges in the airports. So Actually, yep. I think they're doing to help, a build out. relieve the stress of people waiting for their flight. Uh, they're so, supposed to be doing a build out in Vancouver. That's going to be the first one. When uh, I get when I get airport soon. Well, listen. When I came home at Christmas uh, in Santa Domingo's airport in Dominican Republic, there's a camel consumption lounge. So people were basically hotboxing camels in in the airport, and that was mind-boggling me. I thought, man, I would like to go in there and smoke what I have. You know, that would be make me actually calm before a flight. <laughs> yeah, they, no they have cigarette boxes in the Vegas airport too. You can tell because you can't see across the box, it's, even though it's a clear a clear room, windows all the way around. It's, it's just one giant gray cloud in there. I mean, it's, it's 10 by 10 there. room with uh, with uh, one-armed bandits, uh, slot machines to younger fellas, and <laughs> and people smoking. <laughs> no now, what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted by the uh, the walkers by is that I would I have a much less stressful flight if I know that if I guess carrying the, my uh, cannabis with me is not going to be considered an issue or a problem. People constantly, they, they put a vape pen in their pocket and they're worried the entire flight whether TSA is going to catch them at the beginning or at the end. But if they knew they, that it was not illegal, that would be so much less stress on them. And when the same thing comes true with, with the, uh, the cannabis lounge and being able to leave with product. If people know that all they have to do is tell their, their server, all right, we're going to be leaving now. We still have this left. Have the server put their stuff into a, a uh, hermetically sealed bag with the Bud's Place logo on it saying we just came from Bud's Place and we and it was sealed there, then they can leave with their product and they know it's the legal way to do it and there's no stress involved. They don't have to hide it, a burning pre-roll in their sock. Well, Gary, another thing is, if, like when you go to a cigar lounge, you can rent lockers and whatnot. So it'd be great if folks could have like a VIP membership to Bud's Place, put their stuff in a locker and come back and get it at a later time, you know? Yeah, that would be great. You're right. Most states right now that are allowing consumption lounges aren't allowing anything to be stored on premises. Uh, you know, so it could be you know that you have lockers for members where they can store their bong or their pipe or their papers or whatever they want to but it's still you know it gets back to my earlier point about putting a burden on the lounge owner is because once you let somebody have a locker to store things in how do you know they're not storing cannabis in there and uh you know that's one of the issues it's one of the ways the industry will progress down the road where stuff like that will be allowed and right now we're just happy that that some states are allowing consumption lounges and more are trying to come up with their rules. And it's really, uh, you know, for our part and for other people that are looking to open consumption lounges, it's really, you know, finding a place where it's, where it's legal to open a lounge and then finding out what the rules are, finding out what the licensing processes are and who needs to be on a licensing application and how long does it take 
uh, from start to finish to get a license approved if you fill out the paperwork properly and find a good location and things like that. And, uh, you know, it just takes some time. But we think down the road, uh, you know, you'll have places where cannabis and alcohol are allowed to be sold and consumed by patrons. And it'll just be, you know, one big hospitality industry where you can have alcohol, you can have cannabis, you can have both, you can have food and beverage, and it's really just, you know, making sure it's clean and safe and legal and that customers can have fun and that when they leave, they're not too impaired, whether it's alcohol or cannabis, to get in a vehicle and drive, or you, you have rideshare agreements so that they can get home safely and leave their car overnight in your lot if they need to. Yeah, all basic business stuff so let, let me take a second here uh and and kind of ask you guys more uh, another business rooted question i have to he's got an mba so be careful I, be a shark I, at these things. I have to i have to ask because i mean i sit here through the this entire interview and you guys are are different from most cannabis entrepreneurs because it seems like you guys your primary concern isn't about selling pot you know what i mean Correct. You're, you're not trying to sell marijuana in a dispensary. You're not trying to sell marijuana that you're growing. You're not trying to sell marijuana that you baked into an edible and things like that. Your primary concern, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I am kind of speaking for you right now, but your primary <laughs> concern is providing a safe place for, for cannabis consumers. Right? Providing the experience is our concern, and we want to begin to provide that experience all over the country through Bud's Place. You're so right. Mark, Buzz Place I, doesn't I, I don't come along to... with those liabilities of selling the product, growing the product, or distributing the product. It has the enjoyment of the product at its base. Yeah. And, you know, so and what we think it, we do with, with dispensary owners or grows that want to add consumption lounges to their model is we let them focus on the things that they're good at doing. You know, so if, if they're great growers or have a great dispensary, it's very hard to be good at everything. And we can let them focus on growing or focus on dispensing. We can handle the consumption lounge or, or sell them a franchise and train them on a consumption lounge. And now they've added another profit center and they don't have to be experts at consumption lounges because we're gonna be the experts on consumption lounges and they're gonna get trained and they're gonna have the restaurant, you know, and get trained by an experienced restaurant group and you know, it'll be easier for them. Uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of difficulties in the cannabis industry and with cannabis company valuations because they, they're doing everything and it's very difficult to be good at everything. So, uh, so we so give them. If you're, if you're not making money off of uh, the sell of cannabis, you plan on making money off of the experience of consuming cannabis, right? Correct. Uh, how do you how do you plan on capitalizing on that? Is it a membership fee? Is it the food that you're gonna sell? What what is your primary? Why don't you ask that? Model? That's on my list. Yeah. Built right. into our model are a number of ways for the franchise owner to get a very good return on investment, get a great ROI. And that starts with the membership fees, with the food and beverage stream, with the retail stream, with the entertainment stream, with the gaming stream. And I don't mean blackjack and slot machines. I yeah. mean video games. 
I mean, with with the uh, you know VIP areas, these are all different ways to enjoy your social cannabis experience, and they're all different ways for a Bud's franchise owner to realize more revenue. Yeah, so I want to let me take a minute to uh, address a few questions because Patty seems to be asking well, a lot of be, questions. Before here. we get into to okay. Patty, I'm sorry, Ron. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll knock all of these guys out in in no time. Yeah, but you, um, you don't want Carlos to lose his train of thought because it comes goes completely off the rail. Yeah, at least he has it, a train of thought, done, Gary. Once it's once <laughs> I'm off the rail, I I've just doing dabs and falling asleep, man. <laughs> But no, no, no. So, so let me let let me just say real quick. I actually, so like one thing I know, Kano just kind of hopped off the camera real quick. But He's me, like me, me. Yes, I I know, but uh, I I'll figure that out later. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> sorry, my Wi-Fi is shitty, guys. We keep coming in and out. You forgot to attach the antennas. I'll I'll do that later. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so guys, right? Um. I, I think it's really great. You threw me off my, my thing, Gary. I told you. It's uh, so easy. I, no, I think, I think it's really great what you guys are doing because when me and Kano first met, we were, we were teachers at a cannabis school, right? And the truth is, and like even though me, myself and Kano were responsible for the education, the people that were going to the school were not really going for the education. They were going because 2014, there aren't a lot of places that you can openly talk about cannabis, right? So... Oh, so people would come there and just say, dude, I just like coming here and talking about it and being myself and, and enjoying these things. Right. So I really like like it, you're taking that whole idea and kind of like I hate for lack of a better word, Starbucksing it. Right. <laughs> you're making it so that experience is in the same in Florida as it is in Nevada and um, all that, those things like people are going to see Bud Vase and see something familiar and know the feeling and. I just think it's brilliant. I think you guys are really approaching this in the right way. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's that's a big thing with franchising anything is having consistency from location to location and being able to replicate it. And, you know, I like to compare it a lot of times to Outback Steakhouse. Uh, I used to travel a lot on business and some of the cities I'd be in, the best restaurant in the city was an Outback Steakhouse. And you always knew when you walked into an Outback what it was going to look like, what it was going to feel like, what the food was going to be like, what was going to be on the menu. Uh, I mean, That's... you knew everything. They were all similar. You know, like with McDonald's, like with Burger King, Starbucks, with any That's kind of. That's why I said Starbucks. Because right. doesn't matter. Yeah. I, my mocha latte is the same in Washington State as it is in South yeah, Florida. My, as my, it my is daughter went to Israel and, I, and she said, hey, we were hitting McDonald's over here in Tel Aviv. I said, you went all the way to Israel to go to, te to go to McDonald's? And she said, yeah, but it was familiar and I couldn't handle one more falafel sandwich. It's just it's yeah, a and then, you know, and it, connection. It also kind of gets to the membership model and uh, the entry fees to get in if you're not a member is because as great of a job as Starbucks does with their model, we didn't want somebody coming in and buying, you know, buying a $3 cup of coffee and making us their office all day because we need, you know, we need, we need our franchisees to be very profitable. And, you know, there's a lot of big membership model businesses now between fitness clubs where you pay a monthly membership and massage spas where you pay a monthly membership. And, uh, 
you know, and it's really easy. It's it's good cash flow for the owner. It gives perks to the the people who are members. We'll get discounts on things. We'll be able to get into special events. Uh, you know, have a lot of perks that a non-member wouldn't have. And uh, you know, because we need to be profitable uh, for franchisees to make money and for everyone to be happy. And also, with the profits comes the ability to get back to the community because uh, we're we're big into the social equity and community involvement and you're seeing in a lot of states that have legalized cannabis medically or legalized it for adult use as well that they're starting to be able to give a lot of money back to the cities for road improvements for education for a lot of different things and we want our franchisees to be active in the community and be able to give back uh, you said you had we had some questions from Patty you wanted to to, uh, to answer. I know that we have yeah. normal members from all over the country who are who are logging in today from Michigan and also from Arkansas and uh, Texas and Alabama. So no, what, not what here. We got? <laughs> yeah, you seeing guys, all these questions from Patty. Uh, do you guys who plan looks on like she's having, a glass, uh, empty having alcohol in there? We so yes, we are, but it depends on where it's allowed. In most states right now aren't allowing the combination of alcohol and cannabis. Uh, once again, law enforcement is very concerned with people drinking too much and smoking too much at the same time. We, we really view it more as groups of people where some are cannabis users and some would rather have a few drinks to come in, but you know, it gets back to whatever the rules are, the rules are, and we'll follow them. So we can, we require a franchisee to sell alcohol and beer and wine if it's allowed, but most places that are passing consumption lounge rules right now aren't allowing it. No. Uh, Specifically you know, disallowing it. The, Haven't you seen a, an increase a, in, in the mocktail industry lately, though, as far as uh, blooming? We see a lot more mocktail events as well as mocktail uh, product mixes in restaurants and bars right now. We've yeah, also yeah, we are, and mocktails, you know, part of putting the menu together and the beverage selections together was coming up with things that the customers want and that are profitable for the franchisees. And it just so happens when you look at uh, high-quality coffee and teas and juices and smoothies and mocktails, they're all easy to make, they're all very profitable, and they're all very much loved by consumers. So we're going to have you know, a good selection of food and beverages and uh, constantly be adjusting it. But basically, it'll be focused on providing things that the customers want and doing it that way. So this question reminds me of how cops used to sit out in front of hydroponic stores. No. To find people smoking marijuana, growing marijuana at their home. I mean, you guys are obviously smoking weed if you're inside a Bud's place. Right? They're not going to treat it. They're not going to treat it any differently than they do a bar. Those days are gone, and they're gone for two simple reasons. Because law enforcement is involved every step of the way with enacting and putting together and drafting these rules and regulations, number one. Number two, the tax revenues that are derived from these consumption lounges are going to far out past the tax revenues they're now getting from the bars. They're not going to treat it any differently. They've already said that. And they they don't now. This is a city where they're 
they've learned to be very, very tolerant where I am in Las Vegas. <clears throat> it's still not legal to smoke it anywhere, but they sell it everywhere. So they've had to learn how to kind of straddle a fine line. But they have said, I've been in the meetings. It's not going to be any different than it is for a bar. They're not going to sit and wait for you to pull out and pull you over unless you hit somebody and kill them on the way out of the driveway. The only way I can see that being an issue is if there's like some cop that's like looks himself in the mirror every morning. It's like, I'm going to bust these marijuana guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Has some sort of like weird vendetta. Right. From a logical point of view, this, any city is going to want this. Any, any city is going to want the revenues coming in. I think we're frozen. Okay. Yeah. And a big part of it also Ooh, is you're going to, you're seeing both on the federal level, you know, and on the state and city level is they've got law enforcement and attorneys, uh, attorney generals, they've got a lot better things to do with their time and way more important things to be doing. And they're recognizing it than focusing on people that are using cannabis. Uh, you know, Merrick Garland has said it, you know, just outright the, you know, the attorney general of the U.S. that we've got better things to do with our time than go after people for consuming cannabis. You've seen cities uh, that are not allowing police to search cars because, you know, if they smell cannabis, they can't just go and search a car because of cannabis. Uh, certainly a lot of the rules and, you know, and insurance data has to catch up with cannabis. You know, how do you test somebody to see if they're impaired? What are the THC levels of a driver to be considered impaired? Uh, it's, it's not likely they're going to be sitting outside of consumption lounges or sitting outside of bars. Yeah, because frankly, you know, people go to bars and for the most part, somebody goes into a bar and they're drinking alcohol. Police aren't sitting outside of bars for the most part, busting people when they get in their car and start the engine and start driving away. You've still got to be breaking rules or be driving like you're impaired. And, and then they have every right to, and they should be uh, going after people, whether it's alcohol or drugs or cannabis or whatever it is. People have to drive responsibly. And part of on our end, you know, our staff's going to be trained on how to deal with customers that are using cannabis and, you know, trained in trying to recognize when people shouldn't be driving because they're too impaired to drive and getting them rides home. Uh, letting them keep their car in the lot overnight if they need to. And a, a big thing will really just be encouraging people not to drive to the lounge if they don't have to and ride share, you know, or limo with friends, things like that. So, uh, you know, because you've got to be safe when, you know, you've got to be safe to operate a moving vehicle no matter what you're doing. And you can get uh, some ride share coupons and stuff from, uh, from various vendors too if we have uh... – if we make any connections with, with the local Uber or things of that sort. So there's, there's ways of making certain that the Uber is, is, is heavily involved as well. So it makes this, the, the folks over at the law enforcement that much less interested in hanging around. Very, very cool. So, guys, thank you very much. But we got some cannabis news. I hope you guys can stay around and, and put your input in there. 
But we got Big Cano coming here with the cannabis. Well, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk here about the conception lounges. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, being able to have a safe place where folks can imbibe, they can eat, they can smoke. And, you know, interesting enough, marijuana-related tax revenue has now surpassed that of alcohol. Uh, legal marijuana states generated more revenue from retail cannabis sales than they did from alcohol sales, according to the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. Uh, according to their an analysis, uh, legal states in 2021 collected an estimated 20% more in taxes from retail marijuana sales than from the sale of alcohol products. In California, the cannabis excise taxes alone brought in more than double the revenue of alcohol-related taxes in the largest state in the union. And in Colorado, cannabis tax revenues totaled seven times that of alcohol. Uh, you know, according to a separate analysis uh, provided earlier this year by the Marijuana Policy Project, tax revenues derived from the licensed retail sale of state legal adult use cannabis products grew more than 30 percent between 2020 and 2021, totaling over three point seven billion dollars last year. So, you know, to the point that uh, was made earlier by Mark, that there's a politician always somewhere looking to get a bigger cut of the pie for their constituents. Uh, you know, they are paying attention. These tax okay, revenues are real. So now also in the news, uh, there's a lot going on uh, when it comes to public opinion. A recent poll shows that 69 percent of adults support legalizing marijuana, saying it's less harmful than alcohol. And the way those 69 percent of respondents broke down politically, 78 percent of Democrats uh, say that marijuana is less harmful than alcohol. Seventy four percent of independents and even 54 percent of Republicans all support legalization. And when asked about medical marijuana, support rises up to 92% of the U.S. population. So the fact that cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, and under Schedule One, it believes it has no therapeutic use, 92% of Americans say otherwise, and Congress needs to get off their ass and do something about it. Now, there was a, a, a concern earlier, you know, some folks asked, Percy asked in the chat, uh, when is the Act going to be scheduled for a vote in the Senate? And the truth is, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, the Senate majority leader has his own cannabis bill, which he is uh, uh, trying to garner support around. So you can imagine that he's not going to uh, address the, what's coming out of the House. And the sad part is, is that uh, it seems to be that it's going to be put off uh, for introduction until they come back from the August recess. Now, the August recess, uh, because of the midterm elections, oftentimes is a lame duck session. So the fact is, is that I don't see anything moving this session uh, this year when it comes federally to cannabis. And, the, you know, looking at a, a recent um, op-ed in The Hill uh, by Normal's executive director at the national level, Eric Altieri, uh, Democrats are going to blow their opportunity in the midterms to hold on to the House and the Senate if they don't legalize marijuana. So between now and then, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, get your shit together, get your caucus together, and get this passed. If you don't, the American voters will vote you out, plain and simple, because there's no other um, uh, issue that, that that the Americans agree on. You know, we're, we're hotly divided right now as a country over reproductive rights. Some say it, it skews as a majority in favor of, of reproductive rights and such and, and protecting a woman's right to choose. But when it comes to cannabis, we just said 92% of, of support medical, you know, uh, in the high 70s, 69% uh, total for, for total legalization. Um, Democrats are going to blow their opportunities uh, to hold on to the government if they don't get their shit together and pass it uh, this go-round. And, you know, oftentimes if you have politicians that are not supportive, you as the people can still make it happen. We, the people in 2016, passed our own constitutional amendment in Florida. 
in Maine, uh, there are various marijuana bills that have uh, become law absent the governor's signature, uh, expanding legal protections to caregivers, uh, promoting greater diversity in the cannabis industry by uh, repealing prohibitions of hiring people who have past criminal convictions for marijuana offenses, uh, and authorizing uh, licensed marijuana retailers to provide home deliveries were all recent bills passed uh, without their governor's support. So the fact that you can get your representatives to push it um, in, in elections matter. And so with the upcoming Florida midterm elections, um, I just want to reiterate, not a single Republican representative stood up for us when we were trying to pass, um, you know, worker protections. We were trying to pass patient protections. We were trying to expand qualifying conditions. They didn't even take a roll call vote. They shouted down every single bill via amendment on the House floor in the middle of the night and killed it. Now, when it comes to killing bills, you know, they killed good bills in Florida. When Virginia, they're killing bad bills. Uh, this, the governor of Virginia actually tried to get an amendment tacked on to recriminalize uh, certain amounts of possession after they've passed adult use. Well, the people of Virginia and the, the Virginia legislature repudiated uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin, and they killed the bill, which uh, would have recriminalized uh, certain amounts for possession, and uh, a bill addressing uh, synthetically derived uh, marijuana products. In particular, the governor of Virginia tried to outlaw Delta 8, and uh, they the, uh, actually killed that bill through the legislature. So kudos uh, to the Virginia legislature for st uh, standing against uh, uh, the, the governor of, of their state. Now, now uh, they got punked this week, didn't they? So, so Gary, you want to talk more about South Carolina? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, South Carolina, they, they thought they had the bill going. Oh, we, we really did think it was going to happen. And then they actually had a vote down this last week which actually kills it for the entire year. We have to wait for another year for South Carolina. So that is why tourists are going to come here and sneak their stuff over the border to Florida. Wait, wait. So like they, <laughs> they struck down legalizing it? What happened? It, yeah. So they voted to legalize, and then they voted against it? It was the hope of the South that, that North Carolina, South Carolina was, was going to come on board, and then all of a sudden it's gone. It's gone again. So we do have politicians who are going against their own best interests. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the politicians we've heard in Florida, we've heard across the country always say, oh, what about the kids? What about the kids? What about the kids? Well, uh, according to a, a journal uh, article published in Cannabis and Cannabinoid Research Medical Journal, uh, youth cannabis exposure is not associated with changes in brain morphology. So for years, uh, you know, they've tried to say, oh, this damages the young brain. Um, you know, they examined uh, a cannabis uh, users between the ages of 15 and 19 and found that uh, you know, there was no actual uh, changes or significant differences in youth cannabis users and those, you know, uh, that don't use it. So the fact that, you know, the whole 1980s, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, uh, you know, does not apply to cannabis. It does not, it does not fry your brain. And we've seen time and time again that there's government patents to use cannabis uh, to actually protect brain cells. So one of the things uh, they need to be conscious of, I think, in Washington you know, as they talk more and more about legalizing cannabis is that what is the taxes that they're going to put on cannabis once they legalize it? Because what I've seen is that they're talking about adding a 25 percent federal excise tax to cannabis sales, which would be on top of the tax of taxes that states already charge. And you know, I think the best way to fight, you know, the black market, the gray market is to 
be very fair with the taxes that you're assessing on cannabis because when the taxes get too high that just encourages the black market and the gray market sure you can get it less expensively there even though it's you know it's supposedly look you know, at california tested. you don't know the quality of it yeah. but you know if they add a 25 percent federal tax that's going to do great damage to legalized cannabis sales and you know when you were talking about you know the states that are that are seeing more in cannabis tax revenue than they are in alcohol revenue keep in mind in most states where you've got legal medical and legal adult use sales legal dispensary sales are estimated to be only about a third of total cannabis sales in that state so if they had a fair tax structure in those states and a fair and a fair federal tax structure once they start legalizing or rescheduling yeah. things that encourages people to buy it legally that helps the states and the government with the tax revenues and i think that's the best way to combat black markets and gray markets is as you're legalizing it don't go crazy with the taxes that you're charging and also i think that there are people who want to get into this industry and yet it's also the politicians who are making it so much more expensive to actually get in here is here in Florida, especially if you want a license and you actually want to go through the application process, if they actually do give out applications right now, the application charge itself is one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And of course, you've got to spend at least uh, a couple hundred thousand to uh, consultants to help even write the, uh, the application. We just had an application for minorities and the average application was between uh, 206 and 1300 pages. I guarantee you these people were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then, of course, you have millions of dollars for, for a build out. It's almost impossible for the to get into the industry. But yeah, a small ancillary business like Bud's Place will give people a chance to get into the industry without having to be a millionaire first. Oh, right. And that's what I think I saw the last sale of a license in Florida w went for something like $55 million. So one of the things you see with consumption lounges, you know, in Florida, since we're talking Florida, is they don't have a consumption lounge license in Florida. So you don't have those costs or those timelines involved. Michigan for a consumption lounge license, it's like five or $10,000. So pretty minor to the total cost of uh, opening a consumption lounge and, and building and all that. Nevada is going to be low. You know, most states that have consumption lounge licenses, the fees to apply for a license uh, are pretty minor compared to uh, what it costs to get a lounge open and how much money you can make if you do a lounge the right way. I got to ask, Mark, will dogs be allowed at Bud's place? Yep. We're dog friendly. <laughs> All right. That's a great question. The first cannabis franchising podcast I did, a, a caller, a listener called in, and that was his question. You know, will you allow dogs? And it's like, I had never, I mean, I'm a dog person. I have a dog. I've always had dogs. I go out to eat with my dog all the time when I'm in Florida. Uh, but it's like, you know, we hadn't thought about pets and consumption lounges because you know, there are studies out there that cannabis smoke is not good for pets. Uh, we're going to have very clear air in our places, but it still gets back to a, you know, it depends on what the rules are and whether and besides my dogs, 
My and dogs would disagree safe. with that, Ron. Yeah, safe. Yeah, you're. We'll talk about that one later, Mark. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's, you know, say, it depends on if it's allowed and if it's okay with the customers and if it's safe. You know, maybe it's one night a week where we allow pets or things like that. You know, or outdoor areas. But that's something we've got to figure out and see how it would work. Indeed, indeed. Well, you know, going back to just a few more uh, items, I think that are important. Um, a, a recent article published in the uh, Journal of Preventative Medicine reports um, showed that uh, marijuana legalization laws are not associated with lax attitudes towards drug driving. And you know, one of the issues that that uh, or uh, you know, straw man or boogeyman that we see uh, outside of what about the kids? What about pregnant women? Is what about cannabis DUIs? And it, and it actually showed uh, that, you know, frequent cannabis users who live in medical cannabis states, uh, their risk of driving under the influence of cannabis did not differ significantly from frequent users living in states without legal cannabis. Uh, so fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, this whole idea of uh, all these high hippies on the road uh, contributing to DUIs just isn't a reality, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the science points otherwise. So, yeah, we totally agree with that. Part of the part of the problem in general with cannabis is that there hasn't been much in the way of federal money yet uh, going for grants for people to study the effects. They yeah. don't have a lot of data you know, on what the effects are. They're just starting to pour money into that and into the research side of cannabis and the, how it affects you and how it affects reflexes and things like that, you know, when you're driving or when you're doing other things. So, you know, it's one of those still down the road, we'll have a lot more data. It'll help insurance rates. It'll help a lot of stuff because there's a lot of things built on data and the data just isn't there yet. And then, frankly, the, the technology that goes along with what Ron was saying is beyond being developed. Um, here, they're already equipping uh, a, a, an experimental, for lack of a better word, group of uh, highway patrol people with uh, specific cannabis DUI detection systems. It will be no different than getting stopped for drinking alcohol. What they're doing now is the scientific data that goes into the machines is being tweaked, you know, so it's so it's appropriate. But it's not going to be any different than DUI from alcohol. They're going to have the appropriate technology to do on-the-spot testing. It won't be any different. Yep. And, you know, um, you know, all in all, you know, in the grand scheme of this, as we try to push forward for a legal regulated market, um, it's the access or lack of access, rather, uh, to banking investment capital that many cannabis companies are saying there's an issue, which is why, you know, uh, we have a petition. Carlos, if you can flash the screen, uh, we're fighting to keep the Safe Banking Act uh, in the America Competes Act. Uh, the America Competes Act is a is a bill that will help uh, American businesses compete against China. And uh, the Cannabis Caucus in Congress has added as a writer into that or as an amendment is the uh, the Safe Banking Act. You know, the Safe Banking Act has had issues trying to get through as a standalone bill. So uh, we're asking that uh, you know that our members of Congress and the U.S. Senate uh, keep it in in the America Competes Act and actually yeah. once passed will finally provide legitimate banking services to the legal cannabis industry, which will be. A big yeah. that's that, that would be a great thing yeah you know, part of the you know just to address 
our model, the Bud's Place model, is by not selling, by being a bring your own. Uh, the banking issues shouldn't affect us. There, you know, there may be some large banks that still don't want consumption lounges having their bank accounts with them, but there will be local community banks and credit unions and places like that where we can bank. We can accept credit cards in a Bud's place since we're not dispensing. We can we can do a lot of things. We can deduct expenses like. Uh, any any normal business expenses will be able to be deducted on a tax return. So Section 280E, which prohibits cannabis companies from deducting any expenses of theirs other than expenses related to the cost of the marijuana. So they, they can't deduct most of their payroll expenses, can't deduct rent for the most part, can't deduct insurance costs, can't deduct any of that on their tax return. So they end up paying paying taxes at a very high effective rate where Bud's Place, we're just like gonna be like any normal business for tax purposes and expenses are deductible and you know we can bank and deposit our money and, and do all of that. So that that's a good thing with, with our kind of bring your own model is that a lot of these negative rules out there affecting grows and affecting dispensaries or affecting consumption lounges that sell cannabis won't apply to us. Yeah, it's like a lot of other things to it, in the cannabis sector. This point, it's not even here in the first place. We're creating, and you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of future wealth to be created. There's a lot of opportunity right now for almost every level of this industry, and where Ron and I are aiming to take it, it's it's going to be exponentially again. But it's not inexpensive. If you're going to create generational wealth, if you're going to make a lot of money, you do have to make an investment to get there. We are here to facilitate that growth. We've created a concept and a plan that will get you to the next level. Well, the you know, level up. Yeah, indeed. Well, before we close out, there there is just a couple more news items to hit on. And one in particular is President Biden in the last couple of weeks used his clemency powers for the first time. Um, he actually pardoned uh, or, or commuted the sentences for 78 individuals. Um, and nine of them had federal uh, charges related to marijuana. Nine. He His first time using his, his powers of pardon, he pardoned nine people. The reason that is woefully inadequate is there remains over 10,000 individuals who still suffer under the weight of federal charges of marijuana on their criminal records. So, uh, Carlos, if you flash that link for us, we need to hold President Biden accountable to his campaign promises about, uh, you know, providing clemency and following through on expunging marijuana records. So please click the link, uh, send a message to President Biden and demand that. It is a matter of, so, of, of justice in this country. And one of the things that really struck me is Texas Normal uh, recently provided an analysis of their state arrest data. And looking also at an analysis from the American Civil Liberties Union, they found that uh, uh, African-Americans and black Americans are 3.64 times more likely than white Americans to be arrested for marijuana possession, uh, notwithstanding that folks use it at comparable uses rates. And that the fact that in some states, black people were up to six, eight, or even 10 times more likely to be arrested. And in 31 states, the Racial disparities in marijuana arrests are actually larger in 2018 than they were in 2010. 
So as we move forward and have legal marijuana in more and more states, we're seeing over-policing and harder crackdowns coming from law enforcement towards African-Americans and towards communities of color uh, now more than ever. And so it is vital that social justice and, and criminal justice reform be something that in this country that we tackle. Um, this issue of over-policing has to stop. And I, I for one, uh, you know, when we had Representative Mason a few weeks ago, the fact that some of her the, her states act bill showed that some of those revenues were going to go to law enforcement um, turns my stomach because as far as I can tell these racist piece of shit cops that we have in Tampa that we have all over the country will continue to be corrupt and continue to do what they do in order to harm people uh, just for the sake that they can't continue to do it carte blanche anymore because we're, we're legalizing cannabis and we have to do something about that yeah on the flip side of that though is that some uh, cities and states that are approving, you know, adult use cannabis or that are approving consumption lounges or putting social equity rules into place to where uh, they're setting aside licenses for consumption lounges, for example. Uh, I think Nevada, Mark, is setting aside half the licenses in, uh, that, they're, that they've got for social equity purposes, which, you know, are people in areas that have been harmed by the war on drugs you know, or, the, or, you know, and many of them are large, larger black populations or people of color living in those cities that, you know, fall along the lines of what you were just talking about with, you know, higher arrest rates and things like that. So they're trying in, in their minds, they're trying to make it up to them by allowing them uh, easier access to licenses for cannabis businesses. You know, like Mark said earlier on, uh, for a, a consumption lounge, you know, whether it's a Bud's place or any kind of consumption lounge, you've still got costs, you know, of getting into business, of building out a store, of getting the license, all the different things that go into having a business. So you've still got to have the capital to be able to build out a lounge. And, you know, part of the difficulty with that is it's, it's tough to go get a loan from a bank for any kind of cannabis business. So you've still got the funding issues or the capital issues needed for, for a cannabis business, but they're trying to set aside some of the licenses for people that have been harmed by the war on drugs or discriminated against and things like that. Well, Ron, Mark, I, I've spoken to many uh, uh, prospective uh, in, uh, investors from the African-American community in Florida. Um, where could they uh, go on? Could they go on to Bud's Place's uh, you know, website and connect with you all you you know, if they're interested in franchising opportunities? You can reach us through our website. You can reach out to um, us at info at budsplace.com, buds-place.com. Just like you have it right there on the screen. You can reach us individually. You can reach Ron at Ron S at buds-place.com. You can reach me at Mark C at buds-place.com. We absolutely would love to talk to you, and we're here. Yeah, and the other thing, uh, we you know, we offer a discount to veterans. So uh, veterans happen to make very good franchisees. Veterans also, uh, you know, have been affected by marijuana. A lot of them use it as medicine to fight uh, PTSD yep. and other things. So discount on the franchise fee, a veteran would also get a discount on a royalty. And, you know, we welcome veterans. We welcome everybody. We're, we're all about uh, equality 
and uh, equal opportunities to to have a consumption lounge and run a run a business that's going to be profitable and have an opportunity to build wealth in a what's going to be a huge industry. Uh, I think everybody expects it to be a huge industry. We're we agree with that, and it's just in its infancy right now. So, a lot of times, it's the first ones in that help build a brand, help build an industry, help uh, keep competitors away in their area, and get the best locations in their area by being one of the first ones in. And it's a great profit center, and you could probably even make enough to go ahead and get your very own sports memorabilia man cave in your home. It, uh, it could help. It could help. We're hoping. <laughs> well, you know, I just want to say as we close out, uh, folks, all of our listeners, if you're listening, if you're watching, uh, you can become a member of SuncoastNormal.org and really be a part of this movement to make a difference. Uh, we continue here in the rotation each and every week to bring you great guests like uh, Ron and Mark from Bud's Place, uh, you know, like our uh, members of Congress and such and other entrepreneurs in the industry uh, who are making a difference. And again, becoming a member makes all the difference in our advocacy efforts. Uh, we're only a strong as our membership and so we ask all of you listening uh, for 25 bucks a year become a member get your lapel pin get your membership card uh those membership benefits apply to a 25 percent discount there at chillum uh in ebor city so you know you do have some great benefits uh as well as amazing membership events that we continue to do and provide that value for folks and create a real sense of cannabis community and with that being said, uh, we appreciate you, Ron and Mark, for coming on today. I just want to also take the time now uh, to wish a very happy Mother's Day uh, to Monique, Gary's wife, who's given him uh, some amazing kids. I want to uh, wish a happy Mother's Day to Mercy, Carlos's mother, and I want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom, Sharon. And thank you, everyone, uh, for an amazing show. And we hope to catch y'all in the rotation next week. Thanks and for thank having you us. for coming to for having us. So long. 3 June. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member. Because that is how you become part of the change. You can find the Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the Rotation at SuncoastNormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National. All by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary. And good night. Good night.